Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. You're not going to believe this, but uh, I just got off the phone with Susan. She told me that she is planning to and is going to rent Elaine's room out. She says if she needs the money, she's going to rent the room. From a logistics standpoint, I mean, you know, certainly putting somebody in that room starts to eliminate the possibility of recovering any evidence in the future if anything actually did happen in that room. Episode 7, Chapter 13. It was always fighting. We're going to get Neil on the phone just for a second because he wanted to, to be part of the conversation as well. On hearing the news that Elaine's mother Susan was trying to rent her missing daughter's room less than three months after her disappearance, the rest of the Malibu team met at Mike's house. Many parents leave a missing child's room untouched for decades. So this seems odd on the surface. But also, every person has a different grieving process. You find the rental ad on a Korean language classified ads website. She's renting both Elaine's room and the room of Elaine's older brother, Dustin, who moved out several years earlier. We're saddened to see a photo of Elaine's bedroom at the top of the page with all her furniture, including a large metal E propped up above her desk. We then called Jaden, who is now in a very awkward position. What happens when you have to investigate your own client? She's sending emails to uh, Tui to Wright, who's the search rescue at Lost Hills, Krivak and me talking about these hiking trails, asking why they haven't been searched. Why haven't they, when are they gonna be searched? What is odd for me is that she's sending all of these things about these hiking trails. I mean, she just sent two more yesterday. We've also been receiving similar messages from Susan in a group thread that we have with her. 
regular screenshots of comments on the Facebook page to follow up on, or theories to look into. And we usually respond immediately and sometimes spend hours looking into these. At one point, she sent us a photograph of an item that was found in Malibu Canyon. It depicted a shirt covered with duct tape. The odd thing about this is that the photograph she sent was the exact one that Ingrid had sent to her a month earlier. Back when Ingrid was hiking Malibu Canyon and sending photographs of items she found to the Help Find Elaine Park Facebook page. Please send those to us because they might be around where we live and we might, you know, go up there and look. I know one was Jim Morrison Cage, which... uh, She kept pushing me before I met you guys. She kept pushing me to go there. She's like, Jim Morrison Cave, there's a fall. There's a fall. Yeah, she mentions that in this email. Jim Morrison Cave is a graffiti-covered cave in the hills above where Elaine's car was found. From her car to the cave would be about a half hour's drive or a walk of over two hours. Is it worth getting a cadaver dog for any of you, or is it just too much much acreage? If we could identify some locations, they're the best, fastest method of searching, yes. We decided that we needed to search both the locations that Susan was directing us to in Malibu, as well as the locations she'd been directing us away from in La Crescenta, where Elaine lives, just in case she'd come home, something happened there, and her car was dumped on PCH afterward. While waiting for Jaden to source the cadaver dogs, which are trained to smell human decomposition even years after a body's been moved, we began to research Elaine's family life deeper. This was incredibly unsettling because we'd started this investigation to help Susan. That I was starting to realize that in these cases, you're not actually working for the family, you're working for the victim. And if there's even a small cloud of suspicion around someone, and often there is, that lead needs to be followed to the end, even if it is a family member. We began by reaching out to Elaine's father and her brother. Hello? Oh, hi, Ray. This is uh, Neil Strauss. Do you have a couple minutes? Here's a reconstruction of the call with Elaine's father, Ray, voiced by an actor. You may recall that Elaine's parents had divorced when Elaine was around 10. When you found out about what had happened, uh, you know, where were you and how did you find out? The uh, Glendale police officer just called me Monday afternoon and he asked me, when was the last time you seen Elaine? So I told the uh, officer the Friday, 5 p.m., she came and picked up some money, the, the weekend money. That was the last time I saw her. Did she seem normal that day or, or different? Yeah, normal. Everything looked like normal. She didn't seem worried about anything? She didn't say anything or seem worried or anything like that. What do you think could have happened to your daughter? I don't know. My opinion is a suicide or a kidnapping. Or something happened in the ex-boyfriend's area, maybe. What do you know about Elaine's home life after you left? I really don't know that much. Elaine and Susan, um, they're not good friends. That's what I know because sometimes Elaine would call me. She wanted my help separating from Susan. Because uh, sometimes they fight and uh, have trouble. She came and she wanted help 
separating? Yeah, she wanted me to co-sign on an apartment and uh, separate from Susan's house. Oh, and when when was that? It's uh, a couple times. When was the last time? It's about uh, two, three weeks before she went missing. Susan said they got in a lot of arguments, and people said they argued all the, a lot. So you know about that, right? Yeah. Uh, were they verbal, or were they ever physical? I, I don't know details. I, I think they're kind of verbal, but, you know, I've never seen it, so I don't know. Elaine's father goes on to tell me that she'd often complain about not seeing any of the child support money that he was giving to Susan. He added that he stopped paying Susan in December, a month before Elaine disappeared. You know, Elaine complained to me about her mom not supporting her with any money. So I don't know the details of Susan and how much she's supporting Elaine. After we separated, she had some gambling problems. Ray had given us a lot to think about. What bothered me the most about this interview is that Susan told us that she knew Elaine was going to get money from her father the evening before she disappeared. So why wouldn't she speak with the last person she knew at the time that Elaine had seen before contacting the police and find out if Elaine had said anything about where she was going or her state of mind? Ray and others had brought up suicide, and it's a theory that we need to look deeper into as well however unlikely it may be, given the location and the logistics where Elaine's car was found. Quick word from our sponsor, Simply Safe. As a listener of the show, you obviously know the world can be dangerous and unpredictable at times. And for me personally, when I'm involved in things like this, even before I was, safety, vigilance, and preparation were always important. And that's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. I actually use Simply Safe for my personal protection. And as you know, with the things I do, whether it's trying to find criminals and murderers who are still out there with To Live and Die in LA and get justice for the victims, or with To Die For, talking to former Russian spies who are spilling state secrets, I'm taking a risk and I feel safer knowing that I do have home security. And yes, this is a sponsorship, but also I really truly do believe that having home security will at the very, very least give you peace of mind and free you from worry. For me personally, I feel safe knowing it's house noises versus an intruder. So whatever you do for your home security, I recommend Simply Safe. It was named Best Home Security Systems of 2024 by the US News and World Report. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I'd like you to have it too. You can get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash live LA. That's S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash live LA. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
After speaking with Ray, we decided next to reach out to Dustin, Elaine's older brother, and he agreed to meet with us in person. Dustin was living in Long Beach at the time. We met Dustin at Mike's house in Malibu. He sat down and began by telling us his reaction when his mom first called to let him know that Elaine was missing. The date of that call was February 1st, four days after Elaine disappeared, and two days after Susan filed a missing persons report with the police. When it first all happened, um, I didn't believe it for a while. And like, I just kept like trying to like call and contact my sister. And then once I realized that she really wasn't answering me back, I feel like I just kind of shut down. This was like the worst time, I feel like, to, to have her taken from like us because um, we are finally making progress. We started getting really close and like, she would tell me about her love life and um, she started getting into the music I was into finally after right. years of me trying to show her. And like, that was one of the things that touched me um, because I'm so into music that there was, it was within this last year where she like actually thanked me for like showing her all of my music because she she's like, oh yeah, all my friends think it's really good. Right. And like, I'm just like, yeah, it's my big bro's music. You know, and just that, that made me finally like, Finally, you see how good this stuff is, you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. We asked Dustin about his and Elaine's home life. Our family wasn't very close growing up. That's, that's probably what hurts the most, is just because I feel like there's no one else in the world that would understand, you know, like yeah. everything that we've been through. Um, I'm tearing up now, but... Uh, it's, it's tough because um, I feel like me and her especially, we were finally getting close. And like, I've been wanting that, you know, for years. We were actually talking to each other about like, oh, how did you feel when this happened with our family? And uh, we never got to talk about that growing up. And it was like, oh, do you remember when dad left? And like all that stuff. And then like, we were finally able to connect. Growing up, I, I didn't like my mom either. Me and my mom would get into fights, like uh, big yelling fights, you know, and... Um, what would you get in fights over? I think what it was, was we were just always, we just never knew how to deal with conflict without going into the arguing fighting phase. Right. So it'd be a lot of like, just like cleaning rooms or like leaving stuff messy or stuff like that. And then just those would trigger it. And just, we just, just go into like a spiral. How do you feel about your mom renting out your rooms? Oh, yeah. Um, it is weird for me, right. too. Uh, so I don't, I, I I was a little conflicted about it at first. I was kind of like, why are you like, but she was talking about how like income wise, it wasn't enough. And I was just like, well, then I understand, you know, then go ahead and do it because I can survive, you know, I will be fine. I have my own place in Long Beach, you right. know, so. Right. I asked Dustin about what Elaine's friends had said, that Elaine believed her mom had taken money she'd earned doing extra work on films like Crazy Stupid Love and TV shows like ER. She had control over my sister's acting account and stuff until she was 18. <laughs> and then I know my sister was accusing her of like the reason why my mom's not giving her access even after 18 is because my mom used it. You know, she like did something with the money. So, um, yeah, I think just, yeah. So uh, I feel like maybe there was something between my mom and my sister. We called Jaden to report our findings, and he said he'd found a dog team willing to go to Susan's house. I also wanted to get further clarity on the use of the GoFundMe account, since Jaden confirmed last episode he was working pro bono. The GoFundMe account had raised, at this point, 
around $15,000. And Jaden was later able to clarify that in total, Susan reimbursed him for around $3,300 in expenses. With the cadaver dog search coming up, time was running short. So I quickly contacted as many of Elaine's friends as I could to get more information. This is what Elaine's college friend, Daisy, had to say. We knew how her mom and her dad was. They just didn't, I feel like, care enough, which is sad. Her mom would kick her out a lot. Elaine didn't have keys sometimes because her mom would lock her out, literally change the locks. Her mom would blame her because her dad and her separated. She would blame Elaine for it. And she always treated her brother better. And Elaine would tell me, like, I think she treats him better because Dustin reminds her of the dad. Here's what Elaine's high school friend, Sadie, had to say. Her and her mom never got along. They were always fighting. Just anytime they talked, it wasn't like they were getting along. It was always fighting. It got intense, like it got pretty intense. She's called the cops on Elaine a couple times and like it's over stupid stuff like not going to the dentist or not brushing her teeth, I remember was one of them that they got in an argument over. I asked if the fights were verbal or physical. They were verbal, but I know that sometimes that they would like physically fight too. I don't know if that was like a recent thing, but I know like in the past that like they have. This is Elaine's high school friend, Kristen. She yelled a lot. And what okay. would she yell about? It'd be about anything. Like, we could just be sitting in her room, and then her mom would just start yelling about nothing. It's, let's say if level 10 is, like, the most aggressive, craziest yelling you could imagine, level 1 is, like... Probably, like, 8. Loud enough for, like, Elaine would want us to put headphones on and be like, I'm so sorry. Like, Elaine would yell back at her like she wasn't scared. This is what Elaine's high school friend, Danielle, had to say. Her mom, she used to like, you know, scream and yell and throw shit. And we were in high school or younger. And I don't know. Elaine used to, Elaine used to call my mom and say like, come pick me up. Like, my mom's hitting me. Like, come get me, come get me. And my mom would go save her and go pick her up. One thing that Danielle said bothered her was the $20 that Elaine's mom loaned her daughter the night before she disappeared. $20 that Elaine did not pay back, even after picking up money from her father. Mom made a really, she made a point, and she even says on television, she was like, I did make a big deal out of the $20. She even said it, she's like, I made a huge deal out of it. There's just so many sketchy shit, and like, I have to think back to the basics. Like, I, I have to think like someone in her realm of people that she knew and she was close with, that is what happened to her. Someone who was with her or she made contact with is who I think, like, something happened with that person. Chapter 14, Red Flag. I'm gonna give you our ETA. One second. Looks like, uh... Yep. Yeah, 1230. Okay. So I'm here. I'm driving to Susan's house with Ingrid, and we're on the phone with Jaden Brandt. He's sourced cadaver dog handlers who work with several law enforcement agencies. He's arranged to bring the dogs to Susan's home to search Elaine's bedroom, the rest of the house, and the backyard. He's also brought a technician from a DNA lab to further examine Elaine's room, since this may be our last chance 
to do any forensics there before Susan rents it out. My dogs are going to get here probably around 12.30 to her, you know, 12.45, somewhere around there. I'll record when we initially go in. When we all arrive at Susan's house, she comes to the door with her boyfriend, Jeff, who most of us haven't met yet. He invites us in while we wait for the dog handlers to show up. Well, no, so she's going to come in. So basically, we before we lose, you know, any more time uh-huh. for okay. access here, uh-huh. uh, I'm going to have, this is a, she's a forensics expert. Okay. So never come in okay. and look around okay. and stuff. Oh, because since you weren't, uh-huh. you know, since uh-huh. you weren't here, mm-hmm. we don't know, you know, somebody could follow her back here. Yeah, I have some wanna, information so, about that, too. So I'm going to have, I'm gonna have her come in. Okay. And then we can talk okay. more about the details. I mean, that's up to you guys okay. if you want to wear that or not. Thank While waiting for the dog handlers to arrive, we sit down at Susan's dining room table to talk. Earlier, when we'd asked Susan where she'd been the night Elaine disappeared, she said she couldn't remember. Then Saturday at 10.41, she didn't come home that, I was, I remember I stayed home that night. She didn't come home the next morning. Oh wait, was I home? I don't remember. This time, she has her phone bill spread out in front of her. She's sitting with Jeff and struggling to figure out where she actually was that night. So I called Jeff on January 27th at 8.16 p.m. Friday night. Then he calls me back 8.26 p.m., which indicates I was home. But at 7 o'clock, if you remember, Sadie came to my house to pick up the curling iron. I asked Sadie if I was home. She says my car wasn't home. So I must have been at his house or somewhere. Then I came home called him or I was home I don't know so so in middle of the night this is the 27th mm-hmm. middle of the night I remember telling him you know what since Thursday uh, vehicle incident because right. on Thursday she called at 3.45 a.m. to rescue her because her battery died right. I mean the gas there was no gas so he got the emergency gas and we went, we went and met her on the 210 and 118. Right. Because of that incident, I remember getting up in the middle of the night, uh-huh. and I said, you know what, I'm worried about her, I'm mm-hmm. gonna go home and sleep. Oh. So I came home, she wasn't home when I came home. I came up. home middle of the night, so got that it. would be Saturday morning. I was home, mm-hmm. and then I, and then I think I said that I'm gonna be on my, See, that's the thing. I need to see the text, the contents of what happened. Do you have the text? I've been trying to do it. Verizon me too. Tells me no, but you don't have it on your phone? Oh, no. We delete no. as we do things. Like, if we're done with it, we delete it. Him and I, we have the yeah. same I do the, I OG, OCD or whatever you call that. Yeah, yeah. I, I tend yeah. to delete my text. So I accidentally deleted Lane's. More than likely, I came home middle of the night. Because I was worried about her. The car, yeah. I, I remember that, too. We're working hard to establish a clear alibi from Susan. It's all just so strange. But what seems like happened is that she spent the night of January 25th at her boyfriend Jeff's. Around 3.45 a.m., Elaine's car ran out of gas, and Susan and Jeff went to help her. 
Apparently, Elaine's battery also died, so Jeff jumped her car as well. The following nights, January 26th and 27th, Susan stayed at Jeff's house again. Yet in the middle of the night of January 27th, while Elaine was at Devine's, Susan, who had no idea where Elaine was, or even if she was out, somehow became worried that she was having car problems again. So she evidently left Jeff's house and came home. But what's strange is that she apparently didn't even text or call Elaine to check on her. And why would she leave Jeff's house when he's the one who jumped Elaine's car in the first place? Jaden continues trying to establish Susan's whereabouts during the critical hours between 6 a.m. Saturday morning on January 28th when Elaine left Devine's home and 3.42 p.m. that afternoon, which is the timing of the final ping of Elaine's phone hitting a cell tower in Malibu. That was the ping that the Lost Hills Sheriff's Department obtained several days later and allowed them to find the location of Elaine's car. Text. This text, I definitely was home because I wouldn't text him if I wasn't home. At 12 04. Yeah, that's Saturday. A, that's at noon. Yeah. What so time you were home from 3 a.m. to noon? Probably. I mean, from what I see here, called him 10 50 a.m., probably saying, hey, you know, I'm home. She's not home. We're okay. You know, she's she still hasn't come home or she's not home or something like that. Because mm-hmm. you were worried because of the 3 30 in the morning. But what made you so worried about her that morning? Because the three thirty. Um, because like we had, I mean, when we first talked, and all, like you said that she would go, she would disappear for a few days. No, because anything, what what stuck out in your mind? Because that Thursday, that before that Thursday, she she had us call three thirty in the morning. That the gas ran out, and then we ended up jumping her car at one eighteen. So right. I'm worried that her car battery would have died again. I was worried about her car, her safety, okay. what's going on, you know. And on top of that, she she's pretty good about it. She said, give me until later tonight that she's going to quick pay me $20. But she didn't get back to me. Okay. So I'm thinking, it's two things, motherly thing. Wow, right. you know, she's not I keeping her word. She's not keeping her word, you know, what's going on? You know, yeah. I want her to be disciplined. No, and that's, I just wanted to know what was Yeah, that was one that thing. The second thing is because of their, uh, first thing was because of the car incident that we it rescued her. 3.30 in the morning, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm worried I shouldn't be here. I'm, I need to go home. Okay. I remember that happened several times after the incident. I had hoped that Susan would be able to clear up any suspicions we had. I still want to give her the benefit of the doubt, but nothing logically makes sense here. The fact that she has no alibi and went home alone in the middle of the night, three hours before Elaine left Div's house, the fact that both she and Jeff deleted their text messages, and something is off about this battery story. According to Jaden, a diagnostic check of the car done after the police released it revealed no issues whatsoever with the battery. And let's not forget, the car was found with the keys in the ignition with the electrical switched on, a position that ultimately drained the battery. There's so much here to unpack and look deeper into. As we're speaking with Susan and Jeff, the cadaver dogs finally arrive. <laughs> Jaden walks out to explain the situation to them. We'll be bringing the other dog in here too. Okay, cool, no problem. I've looked into how cadaver dogs work, and evidently, they can smell human remains or human decay decades later. They typically give their handlers two types of signals. One 
is an alert, which means they're indicating that they smell human decomposition. The other is interest, which means they're smelling an odor that might be human decomposition. So if something happened in Elaine's room, the dogs would either alert on decomposition or interest on possible decomposition. Yeah. Everyone out. Um, okay, where do we, where do they want us? My room? When they all go to my room? No, they want, because the dogs need to concentrate. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> so these are like highly specialized dogs, so... What do uh, I need to do? Should we, yeah, we could so go into my car or something? Everybody to go oh, out of the house? One of the dogs is not okay. friendly, okay. and they can't search <laughs> okay. while it's on. Okay. Do you want so, us to go into my car? Yeah, if you guys want to go in your car, you guys can talk. Uh, people are talking about Lolo. Uh, we need to get the cats. Can we put them in your room? Cats? In your bedroom? I, I gave it to the adoption agency with oh. him. Oh, you should have. He was having allergic accident, and I've been wanting to get rid of this. I, I, I've been wanting a cat. Oh, is the cat still there? You're yeah, he's like Pasadena. They're 12 years old. Oh, they're old. And we would have adopted them. I adopted, I adopt old dogs. That's my thing. Oh, really? Yeah, I like seniors. Yeah. Are they still there? They're yeah. Pasadena. Pasadena Human Association. Oh, well, before I go. Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about Susan renting out Elaine's room and taking her cats to a shelter so quickly after her disappearance. But I keep my mouth shut. And while Jaden and Ingrid bring the dogs inside and record the results, I take Susan and Jeff outside. We sit in my car and talk while the search takes place. I want to get to know Jeff better and hear his perspective on Elaine's disappearance. Meanwhile, the search begins. Jeff, you want to check this? Change. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to get it? Okay. So, uh, so there are a couple of points I kind of want to go over that we, I guess there was the night you ran out of gas, obviously, mm-hmm. or batteries or gas or whichever it was. At first it was gas, and when we got there, we learned that it was battery. Right. And gas. So and then, to jump the car. so you, you were both at your house. His house, We were at yeah. my house. She woke us up. I got my gas can. And hopped in the car, and we went to get her. We found her <laughs> not in a good position on that freeway overpass. Right. Uh, got the gas in it, and we tried to start it. Well, it's dead. So now I got to get my car even closer to it and, and get my jumper cable so they'll reach. We get her jumped, and then boom, off we go. And uh, we were had all heading here. So we got her here. Uh, just, just a little bit of time here, and then me and Susan went back to my home and went back to bed. And then the next morning we came here, it was about 10 something in the morning. And as we pulled up where my truck is, um, I could see Elaine jumping out of the couch in the living room and going back to her room. That was the last I saw of her that morning. And then we were we were here for a while, and I think she left while we were here or something? Yeah, when, we, when I came back, she was gone already. Because well, we, we were, were doing, doing stuff in the back, in the, in the garage. I know I wasn't home at 7 when Sadie came. Right. Um, it's more than likely... See, the thing is, why would I, why would I call you at 8.30 p.m. from my house? The only time I would call you is if I'm home. Well, you've called me from your car in different places. 
I might have been with you and then came home. What is it? Where is it? Show me. Uh, that's hard to remember. It really is. I cannot remember that day. I just remember the Saturday when we started thinking. Uh, um, and I said, I haven't heard from her. I haven't heard from her. I've been texting her about yeah. money. And I said, well, you know what? Why don't you... Well, no, we let it kind of roll over. And then I think it was Monday when she was really getting worried about it. <laughs> Show me. So the question for you is, when she called, were you uh, concerned also? Were you like, that's Elaine, don't worry about it? What was your response? Um, I wasn't super concerned mm -hmm. uh, because she has taken off for a few days and I know the way she treats her and she'll just leave without telling her what she's doing. So, I, you know... Uh, it wasn't really a thought to me. That's why Mon when Monday came and there's, she still hadn't heard from her, then I said, you know what? You need to talk to her friends and see what they have heard, if they know where she is. And so she did that and nobody had known where she is. And I said, well, that's a red flag. It's been four, three or four days. Then her friends have no idea. Mm -hmm. Now we, we need to do something. That's when I started Facebook. Right. And we to got to uh, Sadie's phone number. And we got right. a Glendale guy to come up and take the report. So none of her friends had heard of where she was. And then, so you said, and then you started Facebook to reach out to Sadie. Mm -hmm. Sadie. Gross. Yeah, Sadie didn't know where she was either. Or no. Did Sadie know where she was? She didn't know where she was. No. Haven't heard from her. I remember hearing that conversation. She had no idea. So that's when I was saying. Okay, red flag. Did you, did you reach out to Daisy or? Not at that time. Yeah. It was Sadie and was, there was another one that you talked to Emily? also. Possibly, I, I know. I explained to Susan that I want to put together a timeline and I asked for a copy of her phone bill, Elaine's phone bill, and access to any account of Elaine's that I don't currently have. And Susan says she'll get it together for me. And the dogs didn't hit on that. As I sit in the car, watching Susan trying to remember her whereabouts on the night her own daughter disappeared, Ingrid remains in the house with Jaden. Jaden signals to her and whispers in her ear. The interest is highly significant. Definite interest in the room. In her, in her in bedroom? Her bedroom. Yeah. Fuck. Dogs got a hit. Uh, end of the bed, uh, so the, the wooden end of the bed frame and the closet. Both dogs? Yeah, and the, and the wall where the sample was collected. Definite. That was 100% positive. Thank you for listening to this episode. This is still an active investigation, and please keep in mind that the police have not named any suspects, and everyone mentioned should be presumed innocent. We are sharing this information with you in hopes that this podcast leads to justice for Elaine Park. 
So if you have any information regarding Elaine Park, her disappearance, or any of the parties that have been mentioned over the course of this series, please email us at livediela at tenderfoot.tv or you can call us anonymously at 213-204-2073. When possible, I've tried to post images and videos that may help give you a visual picture of some of the information collected in each episode. You can find these on our social media accounts at LiveDieLAPod. To Live and Die in LA is a production of Tenderfoot TV and Neil Strauss in association with Cadence 13. Executive producers are Neil Strauss, Donald Albright, and Payne Lindsay. Produced and edited by Tristan Bankston. Consulting producer, Alex Vespasted. Mixed and mastered by Cooper Skinner and Devin Johnson. Original music and score by Makeup and Vanity Set with additional musical services by Tristan Bankston. The theme song is Love and War by Flurry. Cover design by Trevor Eiler with Tristan Bankston as the voice of Ray. And special thanks to Chris Corcoran and the team at Cadence 13, Oren Siegel, Oren Rosenbaum, and Grace Royer at UTA, the Nord Group, Station 16, and Beck Media and Marketing. Please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Our hope is to expose these stories so that we may learn from them and hold those responsible accountable for their actions. Thank you for your support.